0: So good to be with you guys this morning. My name is Doug. Uh, I get to be one of the pastors for our churches uh, in Council Bluffs and here in southwest Iowa. I get to pursue and chase after Jesus with you guys. Uh, And I love hearing stories of what God is doing through you uh, here in southwest Iowa. Just hear this, guys. You guys are influencing a region for the glory of Jesus. Um, And we love and we're devoted to Emerson, Iowa, but we also dream of God's kingdom coming, uh, even beyond Emerson, in Red Oak, and Shenandoah, and uh, Glenwood, and north of here. I mean, like, we love to dream and pray towards God's kingdom coming in this southwest Iowa region, and he's doing that. You guys already have three city groups going on, four city groups that are going out into different pockets of this region bringing the light in the life of Jesus Christ. So well done, and it's awesome to get to spend this morning with you guys. Uh, Let me start with a question. What was the last show that you binge-watched, right? Like the last show that made you stay up, and after 10 p.m., you drank like eight cups of coffee? You didn't even think you needed sleep, and uh, you just clicked play next, next episode a few too many times? And by the time you got to the end of that last episode, you jumped out of the couch, or you cried, or you were mad. Like, you binge-watched that show. I remember the first show that Whitney and I ever binge-watched. It was 24. You guys remember Jack Bauer? Yeah, Jack Bauer was the guy who got the bad guy, who led to the big boss, who led to the arms dealer, who led to the international terrorist who worked for the congressman, who was best friends with the president of the United States. Like, that was the plot line over and over again. And uh, for Whitney and I, it was Christmas 2004. We were visiting her folks in Council Bluffs, and uh, her dad recommended, hey, you guys should watch this new show, 24. And he had season one on DVD, and he just recommended that we watch it. He didn't tell us that we were going to become like zombies the next few days. He didn't tell us that it was going to be our obsession. He didn't tell us that Jack and Chloe were going to be like our best friends ever. He just handed us disc one and said, hey, you should check this out. So we put it in the DVD player. We pressed play and we were hooked like we were just Bought into that. It was our obsession for the next few days. And we discovered pretty quickly, like, oh, okay, this show, it's like in real time, you know, it's like um a literal 24 hours, and so we had this idea. What if we devoted the next 24 hours of our lives to 24? And they were like, no, we're not that dumb. I mean, we're not gonna do that. We spread it out to two days, okay? Spread it out a little bit, and for those two days. We were obsessed. Everything else in life, it was just add-ons. You know, like, do we need to sleep? No, that's for weak people. Do we need to eat breakfast? No, not this morning. Should we put on like a fresh change of clothes? No, not us. PJs will work just fine. We were obsessed with 24, and the rest of life was add-ons. Have you ever been there? Ever had that experience? Chances are you have. In fact, Netflix viewers, in total, consume about 140 million hours of content daily, or over 1 billion hours per week, and that's just Netflix. The average American man watches 2.95 hours of television every day. The average American woman, two and a half hours. And in this situation, like the older generation can't just blame it on kids these days, right? Because among Amazon Prime, Netflix, Hulu, their largest demographic is now people 55 years and older. All of us younger generations, we're binge-watching YouTube, trying to figure out how the guy on the other side of the planet beat that level of our favorite video game, and we'll watch them for hours so that we can beat that level of our favorite video game, or we will watch someone crash their bikes or get bitten by random animals and see if they survive, right? We get obsessed with our favorite character, our favorite show, with what is going to happen next. And before long... Breaking breaking Bad is our top priority, and sleep can wait another night. You know, it's like, we just want to see what happens in the Crown. you know? (laughs) Or Stranger Things is worth one more episode. We're obsessed. Now, what does that have to do with Jesus and his kingdom? You've got your Bibles. Go to Matthew chapter 6 and turn to verse 33. In Matthew chapter 6, this is Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 6, Jesus has been talking about giving. He's been talking about praying. He even talked about fasting, where you're like skipping meals, you're skipping food. Then he goes back, he talks some more about giving, some more about money. And if Matthew 6 were like a top 40 radio song, then verse 33 is the crescendo. It's like the climax where you turn it up really loud and Jesus rolls down the window of his car and he's singing at the top of his lungs. Verse 33, it says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Now, we hear that and we immediately begin processing it with our brains, right? Seek first the kingdom okay, that means I should go to church. Speak first the kingdom. Okay, that means I should like be a nice person and try to read my Bible. And while all of those, those are good things, they don't quite capture the passion of Jesus' words here. They don't really express what Jesus is singing at the top of his lungs with the windows down and the volume turned up. So, Let's, let's just zoom in a little bit on this command of Jesus in verse 33 and see if we can kind of pick up what he's putting down. He says, seek, seek first the kingdom of God. And that word seek, like in the original language, it means to seek in order to find or to demand. So it's not talking about, you know, like doing a little Google search and seeing what pops up. Instead, it's talking about like find the treasure map, X marks the spot, buy some weapons and some ammo and some shovels, and go all out Nicolas Cage until you get that treasure. It means to require, to demand, to crave. That's what seek means. And then there's the word first seek first. And that just means first in priority, first in rank first in desire, first in passion. So Jesus is saying, listen, I know you're going to have cravings in your life, things that you really, really, really want. So make your number one, top of the top, cream of the crop, highest passion and desire and craving the kingdom of God. In other words, binge watch the kingdom. Get hooked on the kingdom. Crave and demand more of the kingdom of God. Get hooked on the kingdom so much that it's all you think about and all you pray about. Get so focused on the kingdom of God that you forget to eat your food and you skip meals to get more of the kingdom. Dream about the kingdom coming in your life to the point that money just turns into a tool. It's a tool that you use to give to people and get more of the kingdom of God. Crave the kingdom. Just one more episode of the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and these things will be added to you. Just like for Whitney and I, when we were binge watching 24, things like Um, changing our clothes to get ready for the day, or eating breakfast or sleep. Those things kind of became add-ons. Jesus is saying that when we passionately pursue His kingdom, things like food and clothing and jobs, they just kind of become like add-ons. And He's saying, God the Father is going to take care of that stuff. He'll handle those details of life. And some of you, you're already starting to think this through you're going, um, I got some questions. So you're saying that I should passionately pursue the kingdom of God, just like I passionately pursue the next episode of whatever show it is that I'm binge watching. If I do that, Doug, how am I going to keep my job? Like, when am I going to find time to sleep? You know, I got kids to feed and to eat myself. I mean, I got a life that I got to manage and control and take care of and all that sort of stuff. So if I'm I'm really doing this, how's that going to work out? And Jesus knew we were going to ask those questions, so he gave us answers to those questions. In your Bibles, go back to verse 25 of Matthew chapter 6, and we'll look at how Jesus tells us to handle the stuff of life. When we're passionately pursuing the uh, kingdom of God and we're hungry for more of his kingdom... How do we handle the stuff of life, like food and clothes and children? You know, the little details. Matthew six twenty five. Jesus says, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. These words of Jesus are kind of starting to sound crazy, right? Like if you took verse 33 and verse 25, and you put them together. He's essentially saying, just binge watch the kingdom of God and don't worry about your clothes while you do it. You know, like, which sounds awesome if you're a two-year-old boy who just wants to watch PJ Mass. you know? I don't want to change my diaper. I want to watch PJ Mass, you know? But for, for us adults, how do we make sense of these words? Like, what do we do with what Jesus is saying? So let's zoom in now to verse 25, this command of Jesus, do not be anxious Do not be anxious. In the original language that this Bible verse was written in, anxious just means to take care. Maybe an illustration would help us understand this a little bit. When my brother and I were younger, uh, my grandma would help my parents take care of us sometimes. So, mom or dad would drop us off at grandma's house, and then she would give us rides to school. She would make us delicious cinnamon rolls. She would tell us to chew our food before we swallowed it, whatever that was all about, you know? Grandma took care of me and my brother. Grandma became anxious for us. Or to use her own words, she would say, boys, sometimes you worry me sick. I'm from Texas, so there's a little southern twang in her voice. But then as grandma aged, I noticed that mom and dad stepped in and they began to take care of grandma. They became anxious for grandma. They would stop by her house and check on her. They would fix problems that might arise at her House. They would make sure she didn't spend too much money on new blouses. I mean, grandma had like four closets and she loved her attire. Mom and dad took care of grandma. Mom and dad became anxious for grandma. Then grandma continued to age and uh, it got to a point where mom and dad just didn't have the skill or the energy or the time to keep taking care of grandma. So she moved into the Presbyterian manor. She was a Baptist surrounded by Presbyterians. And Presbyterian Manor took care of Grandma, quite literally. They took her clothes and then told her what to wear and when. They took her meal plan and made sure she ate nutrients at the right time. They took her personal hygiene and made sure that she showered and got her hair done up nice. Presbyterian Manor took care of Grandma they became anxious for grandma. Anxiety means to take care of something, to take charge of something, to take over the care of something else from someone else, to take it and put it on your shoulders, on your mind, in your checkbook, on your schedule. So what Jesus is saying here is don't take over the care of your life Don't take over the control of your life from me. Your life is in my care. Don't try to take it and put it on your own shoulders. Elsewhere in the Bible, it says it this way. In 1 Peter 5, verse 7, it says, Cast your cares on Him because He cares for you. So we get to cast our cares on God, and He takes our cares on Himself. A Puritan pastor, Thomas Watson, wrote this hundreds of years ago. He says, it is our work to cast care, and it is God's work to take care. So Jesus isn't saying, might as well wear your PJs to work again. Jesus isn't saying, ah, don't worry about food. I'll just magically insert nutrients into your belly. And he's definitely not saying, don't keep a budget or balance a checkbook. Everything will work out just fine in the end. No, Jesus is saying... Instead, don't take control of your life from me. All of your life, from how long you live, to the clothes you wear, to how much food you can afford, all of that is in my care. It's under my control. So cast your cares on me because I take your cares from you. And as good as that sounds, right? Like how how loving that sounds that he would take care of us, as good as that sounds, it's difficult to buy into. I mean, we, we might as well admit it, y'all. We are a worrisome bunch of folk, aren't we? We worry a lot. Many of you, you might be like my grandma, who was a fiercely independent woman who prided herself on the clothes that she wore and the cheap jewelry that she had that did not look like cheap jewelry at all and the meals that she could make. So when grandma had to come under the care of mom and dad, she wasn't excited about that. And when she had to come under the care of a bunch of Presbyterians, she was even less excited about that. Like my grandma, many of us would rather take care than cast our cares on God. In fact, in America, um, anxiety disorders are the most common form of mental illness in our nation. About 40 million people, one in every five adults, significantly struggles with anxiety disorders to the point that it... It like changes or it alters their lives. And whether you've ever been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder or not, I'm sure that all of us, every last one of us in this room, if we just went dead quiet for the next five minutes and we just thought to ourselves, it wouldn't take long before we had a lengthy list of worries. Dare I admit it, we like to worry. Dare I even say it, We don't know how to live without worry, whether it's worrying about getting money to pay the bills, or finding a job, or keeping a job, or am I going to get sick or contract this disease, or how are the kids going to turn out, or how is this going to go, or is it going to snow again, or when are the floodwaters going to recede, and what are we going to find after it's done? There's so many different things in our lives to worry about, and we find ourselves being anxious Jesus' command to not take control of the care of our lives, to cast our cares on him instead of taking cares onto ourselves, that command, as wonderful as it sounds, isn't easy to buy into. What Jesus does in the rest of our passage this morning is he gives us four reasons to cast our cares on him. Four reasons to give it over to him. And we're just going to track through those four reasons. And as we do, let me encourage you. Don't feel like you have to nail all four of these, like you have to understand them perfectly and live them out perfectly. Instead, as you listen, just listen with spiritual ears and ask God, which one of these is for me this morning? Which one of these reasons, these truths, do I need to take hold of so that I can trust you to take hold of my cares? First reason that Jesus gives us to cast our cares on God is this. You are valuable to God. Right where you are, before you get things fixed up or things under control, you are valuable to God. Jesus says it this way in verse 26. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than so the God of the universe gently cares for birds flying around. Now, most of us in this room, we don't really notice birds very much, or if we notice them, we don't give them much thought. It's like, oh, there's a bird. Hi, bird. Or can I shoot you? Like it kind of depends on the season of the year how we respond to birds. But God the Father, He He sees them, He cares for them, He feeds them, and then Jesus says, man. You are more important to God than these birds. In fact, you are so important to God that he's not just the God of the universe to you. He reveals himself as your father. You may have grown up in a family where you felt like an afterthought, easily forgotten. But God the Father says, you are a great thought. You were on the forefront of his mind your parents may have told you that you were just an accident but to father god you were planned for a purpose the world might say oh you don't matter that much you're just small town living small town living and the father god says no i see you i delight in you you have an impact in my kingdom sent out on my mission your job might just say you're another number with another task to complete, but Father God says, I adopt you. You are my son or my daughter, and I love you as my own. This morning, maybe you need to hear, you can cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Second reason to cast your cares on God is this. Worries don't work. Worries just don't work. I mean, Jesus gets super practical in verse 27. Really smart here. He says, in which of you by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. Or if you're like my co planter and good friend, Eric Wiggum, you might prefer the alternate translation, which says, Which of you, um, by being anxious, can add a single inch to his height? It hasn't worked for Eric all these years. So there's no point in continuing to try. No, what Jesus is getting at here is he's just saying, uh, it worries don't work. They're they're impotent. They're um, uh, ineffective. They they don't accomplish what you want them to accomplish and Jesus is really smart here. Uh, There's a study done in 2015 Where they asked people to write down their worries over a period of time and then when they got to the end of that period of time They went back and looked at their worries to see how many of those worries ever actually Happened actually came about and what they discovered is is that 85% of those worries never even happened. 85%. And then among the 15% that did actually happen, the people who faced those worries, they discovered, oh, I actually handled that just fine. The worst case scenario never came about, and the world didn't fall apart. And so this study, it scientifically concluded that 97% of what we worry about isn't worth worrying about. Isn't that incredible? That's, it's like amazing. Jesus is so intelligent here. So maybe some of us this morning, we just need to hear that worry isn't worth it. And we'd spend our time better doing something else. Uh, popular author Jody Picot once said anxiety is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but doesn't get you very far. Isn't it true? Jesus' third reason to cast your cares on God is this God is faithful even when we're not. God's faithful even when we're not. Look at verses 28 through 30. Jesus says, And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all of his glory, Solomon was like this mega-rich, super-famous king in the Old Testament. He always had the latest and greatest in fashion and style, kind of like Pastor Jason. And so that was Solomon... And Jesus is going, man, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Now, now pause right there. If Jesus just stopped right there, it, it seems so warm and loving, right? God is kind. God is generous. God is faithful to super-rich kings and lilies in the field and to us, too. But Jesus finishes the verse with, like, this tagline that almost feels like a sucker punch. Have you, have you ever read this and wondered that? At the end of verse 30, he says, How much more will he, or will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? You're like, ouch, Jesus! Like, why would you have to go there? It's like, I'm struggling with worry, okay? I'm not trying to take over your kingdom. I'm just struggling with worry. I'm not trying to dethrone you. But here's why I think Jesus added that in. I don't think it's a sucker punch. Instead, I think what Jesus wants us to see is that God is faithful. God is generous. God is kind to us even when we have no faith left even when we feel like there's no faith left in the tank. And worry can do that to us, right? We get so caught up in our worries that we feel like we've got no faith left, right? Uh, A thousand worst-case scenarios are rattling around in our heads. Our, Our breathing is getting more rapid. We're starting to panic. And the last thing we feel like is a faithful Christian. And I think Jesus wants us to know, even in those moments, God is faithful to you. When we are at our worst in worry, God is at his best in being faithful to us. He will never forget you. He will never forsake you. He will never let your needs go unmet, even when you feel like your faith is shot. Even when you feel like your faith is gone, he is faithful to you. Maybe this morning, you just need to hear that God is faithful to you, even when we're not faithful to him. Jesus' fourth reason. And final reason to cast our cares on God is this, the world worries. The world around us is spending their time worrying about everything. But followers of Jesus get to be weird. Followers of Jesus get to be unique and strange. Look at how Jesus says it in verses 31 and 32. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? Why, Jesus? For the Gentiles, that'd be the world around them, the Gentiles seek after all these things. Now, this might sound strange to some of us. Like, if you're a rule keeper, this probably isn't your one thing this morning. But if you're a rule breaker, like if you're, if you're a rebel, this might be a new way for you to rebel, okay? If you want to stand out from the crowd, if you want to be strange and unique, if you want to blaze your own trail and not fit in with everybody else, then Jesus calls you to cast your cares on Him because He cares for you. Get this. People who don't worry are weird. They are uncommon, right? People who don't worry, they sit in the break room at work, with peace and calm written on their face instead of, I'm freaking out on the inside written on their face. Teenagers who don't worry are weird. They're, they're loving and they're kind to their friends and they're serving their friends around them instead of making life all about me, all about me. Parents who don't worry are weird. They're loving and nurturing and empowering to their children instead of controlling and angry and manipulative with their kids, right? They're not the helicopter that's always coming down on the kids. Instead, they're finding ways to empower and set their kids free to chase after and pursue Jesus. So if you want to be weird, if you want to be strange, if you want to be different, Jesus is saying, cast your cares on me because I care for you. Maybe someone this morning just needs to find that new way to rebel by casting your cares on Jesus. Now, let's just remember why Jesus is wanting to remove worries from us. Why Jesus wants to set us free from the burden and the weight of worry. It's so that we can be obsessed with his kingdom. So that we can binge watch his kingdom and crave and demand more of his kingdom. And Jesus knows that Worry can, it, it divides us. It divides our attention, it divides our passion, and worry can sidetrack us from passionately pursuing his kingdom. So Jesus wants to remove worry from our lives gently and graciously so that we can chase after him and his kingdom. And Jesus doesn't ask us to do something that he himself is unwilling to do. In fact, later in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 26. Jesus himself is facing this temptation to worry, to take life in his own hands instead of cast his cares on the Father. Matthew 26 and verse 38, he says, talking to some of his uh, closest disciples, sorry about that, Uh, he said to his disciples, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. I don't know about you, but to me, that sounds like borderline worry. That almost sounds like anxiety. And Jesus was feeling this because in his heart, he was passionately pursuing the kingdom of God. He wanted the kingdom to come. Oh, God, let your kingdom come. Oh, God, let your will be done. And as he's passionately pursuing the kingdom of God, he knows that the price of that kingdom is his own death his own crucifixion. He knows that in a matter of moments he would be betrayed and led through a mock trial and led through torture and beating to his own crucifixion. So he's feeling the weight of all that, feeling his passion for the kingdom of God to come, and he knows that is what price it requires. What does Jesus do when he's faced with this? Verse 39. Going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, my Father. Do you see it? That Jesus, God wasn't only the God of the universe who was sovereign. He was also his Father. So Jesus goes and he prays. He says, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. In other words, he's saying, oh, Father, I know you love me. Father, I know you care for my needs. Father, you know me intimately, and I want your kingdom to come, but is there any other way for your kingdom to come apart from my crucifixion? Is there any other way for your kingdom to come and your glory to be known apart from me suffering through this death? Let this cup pass from me. Jesus engaged the the wrestle of worry, the temptation to worry, by going to his Father who loves him and pouring out his heart to him. And what's the end result? The last line of verse 39. Jesus prayed, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. In the end, Jesus cast his cares to the Father. Jesus cast literally his very own life into the hands of the Father. When he was tempted to try to take hold of his life, take care of his life and find his own way, formulate his own plan, do his own thing, instead in the end, because of the Father's love, he cast his life into the Father's hands and entrusted it to the Father. And because Jesus cast his life into the Father's hands, you don't have to take control of yours. You can find the same Father who loves you and will be faithful to you. Jesus did face the worst-case scenario. Jesus died through the worst-case scenario, but then he rose again in the best-case scenario. So that even when you go through your worst-case scenario, even if all your worst worries come true, you can find the Father faithful to you. And he'll bring you through to the best-case scenario, which is eternity with him forever. Amen, church? Amen. Would you get, let's pray and invite the Father to do some work in our hearts. And we don't need to rush here. We've uh, crafted the morning so that we could have this time for, for you to interact with the Father. Not just hear some guy on a stage say words, but for you to hear from the Father. So with your head bowed and your eyes closed, let me ask you to just do a little exercise. Maybe hold out your hands, palms up. And in, in your mind, as you're praying and talking with Father, maybe you can just imagine some of your worries. Some of your worries, and you're holding them in your hands. Maybe there's one that's really heavy. Maybe you've got a lot, and they add up to being really heavy. I know, I know for me, the... Or worry about, man, what does my wife feel about me? What does she think about me? How are my kids going to turn out? Are we going to have enough money this month? What are your worries? Go ahead and think of them. And can I just ask you, finally in your own mind, can you just tell them to the Father? Father, I'm worrying about... Father, I'm worried about Tell those to me. Then whatever picture helps you do this, in your heart, can you just cast those over to me? Now, name them. You've shared them with the Father. Now, can you just cast those to him? Unload them from your hands. Pass them to him and say, Father, you're better at this than I am. Oh, Father, I know that I'm valuable and important to you. All my worrying efforts don't really work. And, Father, I know you're faithful to me, even if I'm not faithful to you. Father, I know the world around me is worrying, and I want to be different. Pass those on to him, and then turn your palms over, palms down now, face down. This is a symbol that those worries are no longer in your hands. There's not a way to hold them any longer. The Father has taken those cares. Now your hands are free to serve. Your hands are free to love. Your hands are free to follow Jesus. Father, right now we pray that those words we just cast on you, you give us the grace to keep casting them. Tomorrow morning when we wake up and they are back in our hands, give us the grace to cast them on you because you care for us. Give them a freedom, give us a freedom and a release to find that you are better at this, that you are trustworthy, that you love us and care about us that our efforts don't actually work. Because of those reasons, may we freely cast our cares on you and chase after your kingdom. Even now, Father, I pray for an expanse of your kingdom. In our hearts, every heart in this room, would you expand your kingdom? Let us see more of your kingdom. I pray for an expanse of your kingdom in Southwest Iowa using our lives, our stories, our jobs, our vocations, our families. Let your kingdom come take our worries and take our cares. We pray these things in Jesus' good name.